Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor of this church. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we are here to rejoice and be glad in it. We are in the midst of a long sermon series here at Cokesbury called the Jesus Prayer Book, in which every week we're looking at a psalm that shows up in the Gospels. Uh, the Psalter, kind of like Jesus' prayer book, it was his playlist. It were the songs and the lyrics that he was most familiar with. And throughout the Gospels, there are many moments where words and phrases from the psalms show up in the Gospels. And we're looking at how those two things, those two different books, in a sense, intersect with each other through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, throughout this whole sermon series, we've been talking a lot about music and our own lives and how it sort of manifests itself. And I, I wanted to share again with you something I've been listening to and encourage you to write down some of the music that's been showing up on your playlists over the last few weeks. This last week, I've been listening a lot to a band called Explosions in the Sky. They're a band that hail from Austin, Texas. They're an instrumental band, and they've actually recorded music that's shown up in a lot of movies, including Friday Night Lights, which is a football movie. Anyway, they've put out a lot of albums. It's been a while since they've released one. But I love to sit down with a really good pair of headphones and listen from the start of an album to the end because it really feels like a movement, like you're not the same person you were having listened to the whole album. So if you're in the mood for some sort of contemplative, kind of intense at times, sort of like they sort of call it post-rock music, I commend to you Explosions in the Sky. I don't think also the reason I like that is because sometimes what happens in church, what happens in scripture you can't quite put words to it, and for some reason, explosions in the sky, the, the music they create feels to me almost scriptural in the way that it is able uh, to bring forth ideas from me without using words. So what kind of music have you been listening to? Write it in the comments. I'd love to discover some new bands, and I hope you have along the way throughout the sermon series. Also, I want to share with you that we have an online bulletin. Uh, if that's at all helpful for you, the link for accessing it is in the video description. It will contain our scripture passages, our hymn, prayers, all that important information. Uh, two announcements. The first is that on Easter Sunday, which is going to be here very soon, the 4th of April, we are going to be having an, a drive-in Easter Sunday service at 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. So if you live locally, plan to be with us on Easter Sunday at 11 a.m. in our parking lot. We'll have our Easter service with communion. If you don't live locally and would still like to participate, a, the exact same service, but here in the sanctuary, will be recorded ahead of time. So on Easter Sunday at 11 a.m., you can participate in the same service, uh, through same scriptures, same prayers, same sermon, all that sort of stuff. 
So Easter Sunday, if you live locally, 11 a.m. in our parking lot, or you can continue to worship with us online at 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. The second announcement I shared last week, uh, and because we're not in person, I want to make sure everyone is availed of this information. I announced that uh, I'm going to be appointed to another, or at least I'm projected to be appointed to another church at the beginning of July. This is something that happens in Methodism. We are itinerant, which means we move as the bishop discerns where uh, pastor's gifts and graces are most needed. So beginning July the 1st, I will be serving Raleigh Court United Methodist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We don't not, uh, yet know who the next pastor of Cokesbury will be, but as we get that information, I will share it with you. And so I ask for you to pray for me and my family, for the church, this church, and for Raleigh Court, and pray for whomever God calls next to serve here. So with that, with all the announcements, all that talk of music, let's just take a moment to breathe and prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, you greet us with your bodily presence and thus make it impossible for us to control you. We give you thanks for our bodies, destined as they are to die. Through them you give us life. Make us your resurrection body, that the world may know your grace and your spirit and your truth. And with that, O oh Lord, each of us will now lift up to you our own joys and concerns this day, whether spoken aloud or remaining silent on our hearts. And now, O oh Lord, as you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I noted at the beginning of our service, we are in the midst of a sermon series called the Jesus Prayer Book, in which every week we're looking at one of the psalms that show up in the Gospels. Today we're looking at Psalm 34, verses 19 through 22, and our Gospel reading is John 19, 31 through 37. So hear now God's holy word. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps all their bones, and none of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And then from John 19. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. And so they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 
Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 288 in the United Methodist Hymnal. 288, Were You There? Uh, If you're unfamiliar with the words, I encourage you to find them in our online bulletin, uh, but the words are not too difficult. So please join me now over at the drums as I play and we all sing together, Were You There? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? pierced him in the side were you there when they pierced him in the side oh sometimes it causes me to tremble 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 were you there when they pierced him in the side Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble, tremble. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
I, I stood before the gathered church and began. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Countless times had I offered these words, innumerable Sundays marked by the words recalling the mighty acts and deeds of God's salvation. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, he gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his friends, and said, take and drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. I prayed for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all who are gathered and on the gifts of bread and, bu- of bread and the cup that they might be for us the body and the, the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. I broke the bread. I lifted the cup. I invited the people of God to feast. One by one, they came forward with hands outstretched, recognizing the gift being given. One by one, they received the bread. They dipped it in the cup and they put God in their mouths until the final person stepped forward. He was probably 12 years old. I'd never seen him before and his family was nowhere to be found. And rather than putting his hands out for the bread and the cup, he said, can I ask you a question? Well, of course, I replied. He said, did you, did you really say that we're eating his body and we're going to drink his blood? That's the idea, I replied. And he said, wow, church is way more rad than I thought it would be. And he took the bread and he dipped in the cup and he feasted. Church is way more rad than I thought it would be. And sometimes it takes a 12-year-old boy's question to knock us out of our comfort with familiarity. I mean, how many times had I presided over the meal without thinking about what it might sound like to someone completely unfamiliar with church? How many times had I shared the bread and the cup with people who saw it merely as a routine? How many times had I myself feasted on the Lord without thinking about how I was feasting on the Lord? You know, there's a physicality to, to all of this. And by this, I mean church. We stand, we sing, we, we, we bring our hands together, we eat, we breathe, we laugh, we cry. It's good and right for us to experience the, the physicality of it all because God's love, it too has a physicality to it. It is not as obscure or intangible as we might think. God's love, it can be felt and seen and heard and tasted and probably even smelled Throughout the strange new word of the Bible, God's love for God's people, it shows up physically in in manna, in a voice, through blood, through smoke, through fire. And in its fullest expression, God's love shows up in a person, Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Lord made flesh. As Paul puts it, In Philippians, God emptied God's self, took the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And yet more often than not, church becomes this just ethereal, spiritual, or or merely mystical manifestation of God. We, We spend time thinking about how whatever we do here, it connects with us only in ways that are 
intangible. But Jesus is the Lord made flesh and skin and bone. Christianity, despite claims to the contrary, it's inherently materialistic because God becomes material in Jesus. God, to put it bluntly, becomes like us. Today, we find Jesus in our scripture on the other side of crucifixion. Having already been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, having already been put on trial by Pilate before the religious authorities, having already been stripped and beaten, marched to Golgotha, nailed to the cross, and dead. And then John tells us that because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before Passover, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, the people of God are specifically commanded to not allow a corpse to remain all night upon a tree. It's Deuteronomy 21, 23. And the conflation with the day of preparation made the hanging bodies even worse. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken— and their bodies removed. Crucifixion was an explicitly horrific way to die. Not only were the individuals hung for all to see, a reminder of what happens when you challenge the powers that be, but they eventually died because they could no longer support the weight of their own bodies enough to breathe. So breaking legs was, strangely, an act of kindness that would bring death faster than it would if you let the cross run its natural course. So the soldiers, they they come forward to break the legs of the crucified men, but when they saw that Jesus was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers took a spear and ran it through Jesus' ribcage, and blood and water came spilling out. Strange. Even stranger is the fact that the synoptic gospels, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't include these details shortly after Jesus' death. And yet John lifts them up for all of us to read, for all of us who wish to follow Jesus. He writes, These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage says, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. In some way, John wants all of us to see that even the very death of Jesus and the treatment of his dead body, it's all part of salvation. There are connections being drawn from the cross back to the book of Exodus and back to the prayer book of God's people, the Psalms. Jesus suffered and died on a cross because the cross is the way Rome made an example of those who asked too many questions, of those who pushed too many buttons, of those who instilled too many fears. And yet if if any of us were asked why Jesus suffered and died on a cross, we're, we're more likely to say something like, He died to make us right with God, or it was Jesus' way of forgiving us, or he died so we could all go to heaven. Which, to be clear, they're not necessarily wrong. The cross is a moment of reconciliation. Jesus does forgive all of us from the cross, and it is part and parcel with what salvation means. But one of the things we gloss over, something John really wants us to see and remember, is that Jesus died on the day of preparation for Passover. Passover, Passover isn't about being right with God. The Lord didn't look upon the misdeeds of the Hebrews in Egypt and say, okay, okay, time to let bygones be bygones. I will wash away your iniquity. I will wash away your sin. No, God says, I'm getting you out of Egypt. Let's go right now. Passover is about freedom. 
Back in Egypt, God's people were given specific instructions to follow in terms of their exodus, their deliverance from slavery, from oppression, and the connections with Jesus' life and death, they are rampant. Jesus is without sin, innocent of the charges lobbed against him, just like the Passover lamb is supposed to be perfect without blemish. Jesus is beaten to the point of death and pierced in his side, just like the Passover lamb is supposed to be bled before it is roasted. Jesus was hung high, and though beaten, his bones were not broken, just like the Passover's lamb, its bones were to remain intact. So perhaps perhaps we've always seen the connection. Maybe John's words are already obvious to us, but in case our vision, our attention has been somewhere else, the Bible is begging us to see that the cross is our exodus. It's our delivery out of captivity into something new. The Psalms and the Exodus story, they contain these particular details about unbroken bones, not as throwaway lines about God's strange obsession with anatomy or rule following, but because the transfiguration of the cosmos is something physical and tactile and tangible. They help us to see how even the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is part of the great sweeping narrative of how far God was willing to go for God's people how far God was willing to go for you and for me. The psalm says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps all of their bones. Not one of them will be broken. We are, using the language of the psalm, rescued by the Lord through the cross. It is our exodus from death to resurrection. And in the end of all things, in the resurrection of the dead, God keeps our bones and, as Ezekiel so vividly conveys it, will re-knit us to be who we will be in the new heaven and the new earth. You know, John the Baptist proclaims toward the beginning of the gospel that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And John the evangelist, John the writer of this gospel, takes the proclamation to its beautiful conclusion, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This story, as strange and difficult as it is, it's like God saying to us, you want to know what I'm like? You want to know what I'm up to? Look no further than the one hanging on the cross, because you can't break my bones. I'm your Passover lamb. I've come to bring you the exodus you need more than you know. In many ways, even though it's perplexing, this is kind of an easy passage to preach. Because all of us are all very well aware of the innocent suffering that takes place in this world. I mean, just this week, a man walked into three massage parlors in Atlanta and murdered eight people. Because as the law enforcement officer put it, he was having a bad day. We just hit the one-year anniversary of no in-person worship in our church because of the coronavirus, a virus that has now been contracted by more than 121 million people across the globe and is responsible for more than half a million deaths just here in the U.S. It doesn't take long to scroll through the likes of Twitter or Facebook or even to turn on the evening news to see exactly why God had to send his son into the world because Jesus is the only hope we've got. 
And when Jesus came to teach about the kingdom of God and to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and lift up the last, the least, the lost, the little, and dead, how did we respond? We hung him on a cross to die. But thanks be to God, that's not the end of the story. God did not leave God's people in chains in Egypt, and God does not leave us stuck under the terrible tyranny of sin and death. Jesus Christ, with bones unbroken, is our Passover lamb and reminds us that God is in the business of deliverance. Because Jesus did what Jesus did, because he mounted the hardwood of the cross, offered a decree of forgiveness, died, and was resurrected, we are no longer bound or defined by our mistakes or our sins or our shames. Jesus became sin who knew no sin. He took all of our sins, nailed them to the cross, and left them there forever. The good news of Jesus Christ is that, yes, we have already been forgiven and we've already been set free. What was done to us does not define us. What we've done, what we've failed to do, it's no longer kept in a ledger of God's design. Our scars, our wounds, our sins, our shames, they may be real, but so is our rescue. Jesus doesn't say, this is my body and this is my blood, so that we'll stay stuck exactly where we are doing the same things over and over again. Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, so that we can feast, so that we can all walk in the light of grace, knowing that just as God broke the chains of slavery in Egypt, our chains to sin and death are broken right here and right now. Which is all just another way of saying Church is way more rad than we might think it is. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Set us free, O Lord, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life that you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and now we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts, our prayers, but also the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering by. We have a, a drop slot by our main office doors. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts that we might take seriously the bodily and physical nature of this thing we call the gospel, not just for ourselves, but also for the community we find ourselves in and for the rest of the world. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said and done is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me now as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. With that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see and know and believe how important your flesh and bones are because Jesus came with flesh and bones to live and die and rise that we might rise with him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to listen more to the Jesus Prayer Book, to Jesus' favorite playlist, so that we can rejoice, walk in the ways of life and of grace and of truth and mercy, and know that the good news really is good news. Go in peace. Amen, amen, and amen. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, find my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above.